Hey there, friends. It's Nick, and this is the first in our little series about metaphor and how we can use these, how we can create our own, how we can leverage them to wake our audience up, to tell stories that mean business and to, yeah, to really kind of supercharge our message or our idea or our whatever, our story. And it's been a bit delayed, this series, because actually I started taking a deep dive into the subject to just make sure I knew what I, I, knew what I was talking about. And it's a rabbit hole. There you go. There's a metaphor right there. It's a rabbit hole that goes deep, deep, deep. And we've been, I've been looking at all kinds of things, obviously loads of examples and usage and creation stuff and what have you, but also, you know, there's a kind of a deep well of research around the, not just the philosophical reason that metaphors work on us, but also the kind of the, the psychology, the cognitive, the neuro neurology really of kind of metaphors. So in this first episode, I just want to talk about what a metaphor is. And if you remember it from school, fair enough, but, but keep listening because I think it, it, you know, it goes deeper than we think this, this sort of topic. So today's podcast, we're just going to set a foundation. There's a metaphor <laughs> and we're going to build on it over the next few podcasts to not only understand what they are, but understand what they what they're used for, how we can use them, why many philosophers think they should be nowhere near um, logical discussion, which gives you a clue about how powerful they are really actually, and how we can build our own and then refine our own. That's probably what we're doing in this series. So let's start as, as I have before in other subjects with Aristotle. Aristotle said, and this is in his book, Poetics, which if you remember, is kind of like a, a mishmash of bits and pieces that, that some of which was probably written by him, maybe not all of it. And it doesn't always make sense because, you know, someone, the dog ate someone's homework basically, but it's his work around stories and storytelling. And he said, the greatest thing by far is to have a command of metaphor. This alone cannot be imparted by another. It is the mark of genius. So let's go on this journey together and become a bit more genius like. The next quote I'm going to use is Terry Pratchett, because what we're trying to understand is what a metaphor is. And he said, a metaphor is kind of a lie to help people understand what's true. And I think it's worth, it's worth just drawing a distinction. If you're like me, and every time you come back to a subject, you have to go back and look up the definitions again. I'm just going to draw a distinction between a metaphor and a simile, because they're quite similar. Both of them are about in general, connecting one idea with another idea or one thing with another thing, some kind of comparison going on, right? So, but a simile, which is easier to remember if you think a simile is, is when something is similar to something else, it's not the same, but it's similar. So if I said, Nick ran like the wind that uses like, so if something is like something, that's a simile. If I said, Nick sat as still as a rock. That's got as in it. So that's also a simile. It's not saying I am a rock, just like the first one wasn't saying I am the wind, but I'm like those things. I'm as those things. So a metaphor is where we're, we're literally saying that something is something else. So let's just do a few quick examples from literature. Uh, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the East and Juliet is the sun. Of course, the classic line 
from the ter terrible play that is Romeo and Juliet. Um, Juliet is the sun. He's not saying she's like the sun. He's saying Juliet is the sun. And what we do, of course, in our brains, and this is what the cognitive psychologists and the philosophers argue over, but the result is we take this idea of Juliet and we take our idea of the sun and we kind of do a sort of a, a thematic comparison. And we look at, we, we think about the things that, that kind of match and the things that make sense. And we give Juliet some of the sun's power. Of course, it's beauty. It's maybe it's to do with the fact that she's the center of his universe. Um, you can't look at her. She's so beautiful. That, those kind of things going on. Here's another one. This is uh, Lord of the Flies by William Golding. The sun in the west was a drop of burning gold that slid nearer and nearer to the sill of the world. So the sun isn't literally a drop of burning gold, but it, in the metaphor it is. And it's sliding to the sill of the world, which of course the world doesn't have a sill, but we, we get that idea and we get some meaning out of that. Uh, here's one from my favourite childhood author, Roald Dahl. This is from Matilda, which I never read because I think I was probably a bit old by the time it came out, but <laughs> I love Roald Dahl. Here we go. The parents looked upon Matilda in particular as nothing more than a scab. A scab is something you have to put up with and until the time comes when you can pick it off and flick it away. <laughs> Genius. And then the last one I'll do is um, George Orwell from 1984. And he's talking here about uh, Winston Smith, who's the, the protagonist of 1984, who's been writing in a journal, which he's really not allowed to do. And he would be taken away to room 101 or whatever if, um, if it was found. But here's, here's the metaphor that Orwell uses. He was a lonely ghost uttering a truth that nobody would ever hear. And of course, actually, as an aside, Winston Smith as a character is kind of a metaphor, right? Because what Orwell did, and remember he's, he's writing, um, in 1948, so not long after the end of the war. So he chose a protagonist who on one hand represented the sort of the pinnacle, I suppose, of British bulldogness in Winston, Winston Churchill. And on the other hand, the Smith part is of course, the fact that that Winston Smith in 1984 is, is there to represent us. He's there to represent every man and every woman. So Orwell was quite, you know, I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute, but, but he had things to say about metaphors as well, but let's just get out of literature for a second and let's talk about, well, here's one. I, I think I got this from made to stick, uh, which is the book by Chip and Dan Heath. They were talking about a message that messages that kind of really that stick obviously. And this is one where the people were doing a, uh, I think they were doing some kind of a health advisory campaign about, about using sun cream and things like that. And they compared sunburn to premature aging. Sunburn is premature aging. And that's a, a metaphor that's got some power, right? And it's got some vividness and some ability to actually affect our behavior. And the fact is, I mean, I read that book, I don't know how many, how many years ago now, um, but that has stuck, stuck with me. And again, it's comparing those two things, but let's, let's just take another step back because one of the things that happens when a metaphor is well-chosen or yeah, say, say well-chosen, 
and therefore it sort of becomes embedded in our brains, it actually ends up losing some of its kind of descriptive power, just becoming the way we think about that thing. So for example, the web, you know, the web is an example of a metaphor and, and I expect you'll be too young to remember this, but back in the kind of the, the, the early nineties, choosing that name was a really powerful way of sort of helping people get to the, the idea of what the web was. Oh, okay. It's lots of things connected together. It's a web and all these different strands go off. It was a really clever, clever ideas worldwide, by the way, <laughs> as well. Um, and there's lots, I mean, there's lots of these, these kind of metaphors that have come on in, um, relation to digital because we wanted, or the people who are creating all these digital products, they wanted things that people felt were familiar. So, you know, the, the whole desktop, right. The one that was uh, pioneered by Xerox at the park place and then nicked by Apple, uh, <laughs> and then eventually windows. This is a, there's a metaphor of a desktop where you've got files and folders and what have you that's sitting in front of your computer. And likewise, the browser, you know, the browser is a metaphor forums, you know, the forum was originally the, the, the bit in the middle of, of Rome, I think, where they, you know, people met and discussed. well, a forum online in the first place, that was a metaphor to help people understand what the thing was, if that makes sense. And if you go into, you know, normal life, I mean, you might think you don't use many metaphors, but we use them all the time. You know, if, if I think about business, business metaphors, I might be thinking about cash flow, for example. Well, cash doesn't actually flow. I might think I might talk about launching a new business. Well, I have been talking about launching a new business, but you know, businesses aren't ships, but that's where that metaphor comes from. Um, building a new business, you know, in relationships, we might talk about mending fences. If we were, if we were particularly emotional, we might say I'm under a lot of pressure. And of course you're not under pressure. Exactly. Not in the way that, that you mean it's a metaphor, you know, I often when I'm talking to you guys on here, I talk about the origin story as a seed, or I talk about it as a foundation. It's something to build on, or it's something to grow. I say, I say the story is a journey. And there's an interesting thing here, because if we think about something like, um, cash flow, for example, you know, that's sort of technically a dead metaphor and Orwell talks about this. There's uh, the little screed that he did called politics in the English language. And one of the things, I mean, he's really talking about the kind of the, the way the English language is, is sort of dying and being misused. And one of the things he pulls out is dying metaphors. And he says that a newly invented metaphor, it is, assists people by evoking a really, you know, a good visual image. And there's a whole load of one, them that are dead. He, I think he used the example of iron resolution. Um. And you might say that cash flow is a dead metaphor because it's effectively become the thing, you know, no one really thinks about cash flowing anymore in the same way that when we talk about marketing campaigns, you know, that's, that's a, a war metaphor, the campaign, but, but, you know, no one has that, there's, there's no sense of that when we talk about it anymore, it's just become the thing, but he says, there's a whole load of things in the middle, a whole load of metaphors where we're really just sort of. You know, they're, they're, they're really worn out they're worked out. And this is the thing, this is the reason I think that it's important for us to get into this because when we have the ability to create our own metaphors, not only do we, we get more attention, 
And I mean that both in the sense of, of people's brains, when they encounter a new metaphor, they have to stop, they have to think, they have to process. And if it's a metaphor that works, it will stick. And in the next podcast, we'll talk about all the ways in which metaphors can be useful. But one of the, the, one of the primary things is we want to get away from using this, what Orwell calls this huge dump of worn out metaphors, which have lost all of their power. They, they, they've lost the power to move people and to get people kind of thinking anymore. And the other thing is because we're in the persuasion business or the influence business, if you know, when we're, when we're writing stories that mean business, or when we're writing messages or putting down ideas, we are looking for something to happen. Yeah. And if you listen to the, the, uh, the recent series on creative crafting stories that spread, you know, we're looking for something to happen, right? And this is one of the reasons I mentioned earlier on that philosophers had kind of, they had kind of wanted to get rid of metaphor from discussion, from rational discourse. Hobbes said that metaphors openly profess deceit. And Locke had also said to, you know, they're only used to insinuate their own ideas, to move the passions and to thereby mislead the judgment. And so indeed are perfect cheats. And of course, this is why they're so powerful. This is why we need to understand them. This is why we want to use them. Of course, you know, I'm using my usual sort of waiver here. We're building businesses that matter for people that we care about. And the right audience at the right time can really benefit from our stuff. So let's help them get to that place by creating and using metaphors that will help them do all of the things we'll talk about in the next podcast. And, you know, if we do that, metaphor is a shortcut, right? It's a rocket ship to use two more metaphors. That's why we want to learn how to create and leverage them to help make sure that our stories mean business. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye now.